Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we've discussed replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Do you have knee pain? Have you thought it was just arthritis and that you had to live with it? Well, there's a lot of other structures in the knee that could be impacted if you've had an injury or even if you've just had some wear and tear to your joints and not everything is just arthritis. So today we're going to talk with my orthopedic expert, Dr. Spencer Chang at Polymomy Bone and Joint Center about things to do with a structure called the meniscus. We'll talk about what it is, how it gets injured, and what are some of the different ways that we're treating it than we used to just about a decade and a half ago. So thanks for joining me today, Dr. Chang. Welcome back. Thanks for having me, Kathy. You really appreciate it. Now, you know, you've been in practice for almost 20 years. You mentioned about 17 years already. And things that we used to do back then, I remember in medical school, the things that I learned are definitely not up to date with what we're doing right now. So keeping up with the latest trends and the latest techniques are things that we're responsible to do as we continue in our profession. And you've noticed some changes in the way that certain conditions are treated. Tell me a little bit more about this structure in the knee called the meniscus. What is it and what does it do? Yeah, I think that it's really interesting to talk about the historic, you know, viewpoint of what the meniscus is. So first let's discuss what it is. The meniscus is a crescent-shaped cushion, so to speak, that lies in between the two bones in your knee, the thigh bone and the shin bone. Um, And it basically acts to protect the joint. So it acts like a cushion and it helps to distribute distribute the pressure within your knee more evenly. So the interesting thing about it is, well, you have two of them. You have one on the inside and the outside, or the medial and the lateral. And the interesting thing about it is when orthopedists first looked at it, they thought it was really a vestigial organ, kind of. You know, it was not necessary. And so when it got torn and people had pain from it, they cut it out. They used to do an open procedure and use this thing called a smiley knife where they went and cut the whole meniscus out, and that was a treatment. And the interesting thing about that was they soon found out that when you cut out the entire meniscus, people would soon develop arthritis in that joint. And arthritis is where the cartilage, which is the surface of the bone, has this um, layer that's smoother, got a little more cushion on it, kind of like the Teflon on your frying pan. So when the cartilage starts to wear down, basically what you're left with is this bone, and the bone's got sort of this porous, rough, almost sandpaper-like surface on it that's gritty, and it it has nerve endings on it. And so when bone rubs on bone, it's very, very painful. And that's what we, that's what we call arthritis. Well, Come to find out, the meniscus is really important in preventing the development of arthritis. It's really critical to the joint. So we've come a long ways from the smiley knife to I think we're we're moving, but not quite there yet, I think, with, you know, standard mainstream yet. And I'll, I can talk about that soon. So the meniscus is sort of this cushion. I sort of, you know, for people to get a visual, I would say think about some of the inserts you put in your shoe. So... You know, it might be a heel insert, right? So you want to protect your heel. You want to get a cushion. And so you put a little heel insert in there. And so it's protecting you from the shoe. Now, technically, that's not both part of you. So it's a little different than bones. But it might just be a good visual. So you're putting this thing in there to try and help provide some support. Taking it out could cause some troubles. So 
what are the common things that can happen to a meniscus? I mean, I hear about people getting meniscal tears maybe from sports injuries, or you hear about that happening with some professional sports players in like the NFL or in basketball. So what are the things that can hurt the meniscus, and how do you know you have one of those problems? Well, the meniscus tear is probably one of the most common knee injuries that we see. And, in fact, it's, it's the most common to do a knee arthroscopy is probably the most common orthopedic procedure out there. And then when you look at just meniscectomies or meniscal procedures, like in per year about a million meniscus procedures get done per year. So that's a lot of procedures with just the meniscus you know, being the main problem. And when we look at how the meniscus gets torn or how it gets injured, I guess the way you look at it is like, you know, you have your, your cushion or, or your, your rug or, you know, you have a, something that doesn't last forever and just gets wear, wear and tear with time. And the most common type of meniscus injury is a wear and tear type of injury, a degenerative wear and tear type of injury. Uh, imagine your tire on your car just doesn't last forever and the treads will wear down with time. And it's sort of the same thing with the meniscus. Most of them are degenerative tears. Of course, the more, you know, I guess, cool meniscus tears, maybe the ones that, you know, are in vogue, you see on the news and you see these, you know, multi-millionaire professional athletes, when they get a torn meniscus, it comes from a traumatic injury. But I would say the majority of the injuries are from more of a wear and tear, degenerative, overtime type injury pattern. So not all of us are playing sports. Personally, I'm uh, I'm more of a mathlete than an athlete. And so it could happen even if you're not playing professional sports. You could just be doing some extra activities that you like to do, running or jogging or just over time, develop some type of wear and tear on this meniscus. So so if you, you mentioned that if you surgically remove the meniscus, you have bone on bone and that's really painful and uncomfortable. What happens if you just have degenerative changes to the meniscus? How might that feel? Is it as painful as bone on bone, or is there some other type of a way that you might experience discomfort? So, you know, when you're having pain along the joint or the joint line, so that's the joint line is what we um, imagine is sort of like the surface of where the two bones connect. So the joint line, um, the, the causes of joint line pain could be one, it could be a meniscus tear, or two, it could be the cartilage wearing down in the joint. And it's really difficult to decipher, you know, what is exactly causing the pain unless it's a situation where it's just cartilage or just meniscal injuries. So when a patient comes in, a lot of times we're trying to decide whether or not the pain is coming from the meniscus tear or it's coming from maybe cartilage is worn down. Um, and it's, it's when they have both at the same time, it's sometimes difficult to decipher but when you have a meniscus tear, some of the common things that you might see that are unique to meniscus tears is that when it rips, it's sort of like having a flap in your joint that can kind of cause mechanical symptoms uh, like catching or locking um, or maybe making the knee get stuck, you know, um, and sometimes it feels almost like if you had a rock in your in your knee or, or like a, you know, a rock in your shoe kind of thing where you have to get it out or you have to shift it in order to make it better. So that thought process, um, when you have something that's not in place, if there's a flap of the meniscus that's flapping in and out and causing an irritation, causing pain, the, that prompted what we um, started doing, which is taking the meniscus out. Now, after we 
found out that if you take the whole meniscus out, it causes arthritis. We started thinking, well, maybe we shouldn't take the whole meniscus out. And so we ended up trimming just the part that was torn and trying to, trying to preserve as much of the meniscus as possible. And if you can imagine, um, if you smooth the meniscus, if it has a tear and you smooth it out, it tends not to propagate as much. But if you do leave a meniscus tear alone, sometimes that tear propagates, and then now you even have a bigger tear. So the thought process was, okay, we'll go and trim it out. But here's where things are changing. So the thought process now is that, you know, maybe it's better to try to preserve as much of that as possible. And I think, I think we always thought that way, but we just didn't think we could repair as many meniscus tears as maybe we can now. So was there ever a time when, you know, surgery was done very infrequently and now it's being done more frequently? Is that what we're seeing as a shift from a previous conservative treatment to something that might be a little more uh, invasive? Um, I don't think I'd say that. I think, what it, I think uh, as I mentioned, the um, arthroscopy and the partial meniscectomy where you cut out part of the meniscus is probably the most common orthopedic surgery done in the United States and maybe even the world. Um, and it, part of it is because, I, I hate to say it, but it's pretty easy to do. Um, you know, maybe not in every, you know, every orthopedist does, does a, um, arthroscopy or a meniscectomy, but it's pretty easy. For me, I could do a meniscectomy in five minutes sometimes. Um, and so it's a relatively easy procedure that you can sort of, uh, you know, bang out, so to speak, uh, you could do a lot of them, and it's so common that, you know, unfortunately, the way that medicine is driven right now with, with the fee-for-service, um, you know, it, it sort of incentivizes a doctor to do a lot of meniscectomies um, because they're relatively easy, and, you know, they they they, they have a payment for it, um, and it's, it's common. Um, so I would say that meniscectomies are common. I think what's changing, but not that much yet, um, uh, and I, I'm hoping to lead sort of the movement towards that, is that we're hopefully moving towards trying to preserve it, um, to preserve the meniscus. Because if you preserve the meniscus, a lot of the studies have shown that it actually helps to cushion the joint better. Now, even if you do a partial meniscectomy, it might not be a complete meniscectomy, but it, it does... Um, take away some of that protection that the knee uh, used to have. And, and so the, there's a, a good chance that you will develop more arthritis um, more quickly when you have less meniscus. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with Dr. Spencer Chang and talk some more about what are the ways that we should be treating the meniscus. So if it's something that we want to preserve instead of remove, what are some ways we can do that? We'll be right back. Stay with us.
Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I have Dr. Spencer Chang on the line. He is an orthopedic expert at Polymomy Bone and Joint Center. And right before the break, we were talking about the paradigm shift in the treatment of the meniscus. So no longer are we trying to do this fancily worded uh, partial meniscectomy, if I said that correctly. We're trying to preserve the meniscus and help keep the joint as healthy as possible. So what we used to do, Dr. Chang, you mentioned, is either do a removal with that particular device you called the smiley knife. And now we're looking at trying to do some preservation. What does that change? You said you're sort of spearheading the efforts. So how do you do a preservation of something that has a tear or that's that's impaired in some way? Well, I, th- I think let's first talk about the paradigm shift. I think when I first started in practice, I probably did about 20% of the meniscal work would be repairs. And now I would say that it's opposite. Now I do about 80% of the meniscal work that I do are going to be um, repairs and sometimes even more. Um, and that's an in all ages, in patients who are young in their teenagers or even up to their 70s. Um, and the, the difference now is we have instrumentation and techniques that allow us to repair tears that we thought would not heal if we tried to repair them. Um, so there's new patterns of tears, uh, tears like what they call horizontal cleavage tears or some of the radial tears um, that we used to trim them out and then you basically have not a lot of meniscus left. And now, um, I, you know, I think the doctors who kind of adhere to this paradigm shift or preserve the meniscus society, so to speak, um, we're trying to repair them. Um, and we have better techniques and devices um, to do it. Studies are showing that the success rates are like 70 to 80% um, in getting them to heal. And my opinion on this is, yes, there would be a 20% failure rate, but you have an 80% chance of preserving that meniscus by trying to repair it. And so if it does fail, you have options. At that point, you could try to repair it again, or, you know, you could do a partial meniscectomy. But if you start out with the partial meniscectomy, you're, you're sort of done. And I think a lot of doctors still, um, probably the majority of orthopedists who do arthroscopy are still doing more partial meniscectomies than meniscal repairs. Um, I, there are certain meniscal tear patterns that almost everyone would repair, for instance, like a bucket handle tear. But I think that some of these other tears that are um, what we some people still think are not repairable, um, you know, we, we're repairing. In, in fact, I'm even repairing intra-substance tears now. Um, so these are different patterns that we're recognizing and we're seeing are important to try to put sutures in them and try to preserve them. So the reason that we thought that, you know, these particular types of tears couldn't be repaired before is because was it a tear that was sort of with jagged edges or was it some type of fraying type of a tear? What about it? Or maybe was it the blood supply that made us think that repairing it would not have been as potentially successful as you're finding it is now? That's a great question. So I think when we're doing a repair, yeah, there's going to be parts of it, of it that are frayed that just aren't repairable. It might look like, you know, like a mop head almost, uh, that frayed. So, but usually that's not the majority or the bulk of the meniscus. So we'll smooth that part. You know, you do a, a, a little bit of a partial meniscectomy with that, but it's not a lot of substance that you're removing. You know, so 
And then you have the majority of the meniscus left. Um, the, the other components, yes, um, the blood supply to the meniscus. So when you look at it, it's, it's not really good. So it supplies a peripheral 25 to maybe one-third um, or, you know, 33% of the meniscus. And so the thought process is the only areas where um, you could repair it, this is our thought process in the past, was to only repair a tear that was in the periphery of the meniscus. But now I think that has changed. And I think, you know, we're realizing that, no, we can repair tears that go all the way to the inner part of the meniscus as well. Um, and the other component would be maybe age. So I, I think, um, you know, doctors might take the approach, well, this patient is 50 or 60. And so uh, no way that if I repair this, it's going to heal. And I think we now know that um, and studies have shown that even age is not a factor um, a lot of times in um, meniscal healing rates. Um, and the other thing to mention is, I mean, we, we did some, you know, as early as 20 years ago, um, a big thing called meniscus root tears was something that we kind of didn't really recognize, and we ended up trimming them out and made, making them probably worse by trimming it out a little bit more. And now we recognize these meniscus root tears that if we don't repair them, 35% of them will go on to a knee replacement in five years. So these are kind of the things that we're starting to see where I think meniscus repairs are really important to, to, to do and, and, you know, to think in terms of, well, let's try to repair it um, before we try to resect it. So if somebody's very concerned, let's say they're, they're, you know, they're having knee pain and they find out that they, they potentially are having this locking or you mentioned the clicking or, or it just feels like it's, it's, you said, feels like there's a rock in there. It's just, your knee doesn't feel well. Would there ever be a circumstance where they have something that they should worry, they should think more about conservative approaches? I mean, you mentioned that you'll take 70 or 80% of folks with meniscal tears to surgery to potentially do a repair of it. Is there a role for conservative treatment of just working on physical therapy and letting your body handle it and heal it itself? Or is that pretty much not really possible once it reaches a certain level of a tear? Yeah, I, I think that's a great a great question. I think that the important thing here, so I think where the paradigm shift lies in conservative treatment, so, so to speak, non-surgical treatment, let's call it instead, um, is that let's say you're just doing a partial meniscectomy. Um, if you were going to go and just resect it, then maybe respecting it is not that much different than if you were just to leave it alone. Uh, and so if you can manage it with, you know, anything that helps with your pain, then maybe that, that would be fine because the end result, if that didn't work, is you were going to respect it. But the problem is if, you, if your goal is to preserve it and to save it, then if you do it conservative treatment, chances are the tear is going to get worse. So things like cortisone injections, um, cortisone injections, they help with pain. They're anti-inflammatories, but they can also slow or inhibit the healing process uh, within your knee. So if you do the cortisone shot, then perhaps if you decided if you want to do a repair later, the repair might be less successful or maybe there's less robust tissue to repair. Um, the other thing about it is if you leave a meniscus tear alone, it tends to pro propagate, it tends to get bigger. And if the tear is bigger, it's harder to repair. And so typically, if the tear is really substantial, um, then your chances of the repair working are, are going to be less. 
and maybe even if you did repair it and it did heal, maybe the tissue won't be as robust or as, or as good a cushion as it could be. So um, in my mind, if the patient's having mechanical symptoms and pain that is consistent with a meniscus tear, then it's better to find out if it's a meniscus tear and if it is torn and they're relatively young and active patients that I would consider um, repairing it at that time uh, so we can preserve the joint. Because once you lose that meniscus and once you get arthritis, when you get to the point of arthritis, we don't have a whole lot of, um, we basically don't have a, a lot of ways to replace the cartilage. Now, if, if the meniscus is intact and you have focal areas of cartilage loss, there are things that we can do, like Macy procedures or maybe Oats procedures or microfractures, which help to replace cartilage. And we can talk about that in another time. But once you lose the meniscus, you're headed towards the direction of losing cartilage. And once you lose cartilage, there's no turning back. And if you do that at a young age, that is, you lose cartilage at a young age, um, your only options at that point become a knee replacement, which I've been told lasts maybe 20 years. Um, so if you need a knee replacement in your 40, chances are you're going to need another knee replacement when you're 60. And if you need another knee replacement when you're 60, um, well, chances are you might need another one when you're 80. Now, the problem is when you do a revision knee replacement, they don't come out as good as the first time around. And then the second time around, it comes out even usually worse or has a higher rate of complications. So um, the goal is to try to preserve the joint, maybe preventing the need for a patient to get a knee replacement either in their lifetime or maybe just one in their lifetime. And I think if we attack it in a way where we try to preserve the joint, um, then we may be better at achieving these goals and things. All right. Preservation of the meniscus equals potential preservation of the joint. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Dr. Spencer Chang about ways that people can address what used to be something that maybe we weren't as aggressive about and some of the reports on patients who he's done the procedure with who have had wonderful success. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I have Dr. Spencer Chang on the line. He is an orthopedic specialist at Polymomy Bone and Joint Center. And right before the break, we were talking about preserving the joint. So this is a really important aspect of trying to keep people mobile as time goes on. You mentioned that in some cases, preserving the joint will actually help to prevent people from needing more than one knee replacement, as currently they don't tend to last forever, although I wish... They did. So are there any other types of things when we talk about someone having a, a tear, if they do a surgery, if, if they, you know, if they don't do a surgery, are there things they can do to help with their knee joint? You know, sometimes people talk about glucosamine chondroitin as helping arthritis. That probably wouldn't necessarily help the meniscus as much. You mentioned steroid cortisone shots as potentially being short-term beneficial for pain, but maybe long-term not as much. When we think about some of the other synthetic cartilage injections, do they help at all, or 
pretty much is the meniscus left on its own. And if we don't find a way to preserve it and or repair it, if there's an injury, we're kind of missing out. Yeah, that's a great question. So I think a lot of people ask about PRP and um, stem cells. And I think where we're at with biologics for the meniscus is that we don't really have anything that might help to preserve it, so to speak, at this point. Um, when we talk about PRP, which is platelet-rich plasma, it's basically concentrated platelets, which have all these growth factors that help to stimulate a healing response. If you have um, PRP and you inject it, or if you do it in conjunction with stem cells, the main um, benefit that you get, which equates to pain relief, is probably from this anti-inflammatory effects that you get from it. So it's not necessarily a regenerative or it's going to repair the tissue type of thing. At least we don't think that what's happening with them at this point. Um, and particularly if it's like a flap tear or a tear that is displaced, um, it's probably impossible for an injection to repair that type of tear. And you'd have to actually reapproximate or get the flap back to where it's supposed to go. Um, in order for it to have a chance for it to heal. So I think those adjuncts, once, once you have put it back together, um, maybe, you know, maybe studies will show that PRP or maybe even stem cells might be beneficial in those settings. But I think um, biologics at this point, we could best say that maybe they help from an anti-inflammation type of um, process where uh, you'll have less pain from the from inflammation. So not necessarily able to be as regenerative just yet as we hope. Now, have you had anybody who you've done the meniscal repair for who's done really well after that? How long was their recovery and what was their experience like? Well, um, you know, we're doing a study right now. So I'm, I'm part of this um, multi-center study. We're one of six and I'm the only guy in Hawaii, um, little me, um, and there's Ohio State and Kansas, and um, I believe we also have um, Mayo in there. And um, and um, basically, I, you know, I, I, I think it's relatively short-term in terms of, you know, I think maybe I've changed my paradigm shift in the last four or five years, but I've had only two patients come back so far with retailers um, that I know for sure. Uh, now, of course, you know, I might, I might have lost patients to follow up, um, but I've had two patients that I had a rescope. Um, one of them retore and the other one uh, tore somewhere else. So the actual repair actually healed, healed fine and then he tore something in a, in a different part. And so if I look at that, that's probably like about 2%. Uh, so the remainder of patients have gone back to having relatively pain-free lives, um, you know, or successes. Um, and uh, typically the recovery period is about four months. So we have a protective period in the first four months, and dependent on the type of care, sometimes we'll keep them non-weight-bearing, and sometimes they can walk on it right after surgery. Uh, but Typically, it gets to about four months before, you know, we say, okay, I think the meniscus is healed, and now you can start to gradually work your way back to full activities. And so anywhere from four months to maybe six to 12 months, um, patients have gone back to, you know, um, 
full activities, but it's probably closer to that four to six month period. So you're having some folks who it might take a while, but long term, if they want to get back to that activity that they love, whatever it might be, this may be a way to help facilitate that. Yes, absolutely. And I think I think the thing is that I, I look at it as like a well, we gave it a college try. We really we really really went and did every you know everything we could to try to preserve it. And and even if it does reach it online, so maybe if it holds up for ten years, for instance. Um, let's say the meniscus holds up for 10 years, and we bought 10 more years, you know, with the joint having better cushion in there. Um, that's 10 so I years. That's, yeah. I, that, that buys you time. And uh, I, I, for me, I think that's um, important. And uh, I'd rather have my own knee than have a joint replacement. And so if I can buy myself 10 years, I think I'd rather have that. I'm with you. I'd love to take 10 years off. Right this very minute. All right, I want to thank you for sharing your expertise with us today on The Body Show. That was Dr. Spencer Chang from the Polymomy Bone and Joint Center. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on the HPR app. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll talk to you next week when we talk more about health topics right here on The Body Show. We'll see you then.